Hi, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Scaredy Cat, a true crime podcast for cat people, non-cat people, and everyone in between. And let me just say, having started this podcast and telling random people about it has been really fun because of the little catchphrase I say right after. Um, but I guess that is what is a result of my marketing degree and having this fun, creative mind. Not really. Um, but I do want to apologize for the delay in releasing my second episode. I think it's about, uh, six months since the first one, but I really wanted to build up, you know, the suspense. So, um, if you listen to the first episode where I covered John Bonet Ramsey, there seems to be sort of a update in her case and this is according to Fox News, and I would say take this with a grain of salt because it is Fox News. But John Bonet's uh, father, John, believes that with the recent upgrade in DNA technology, such as genetic genealogy, this could help in finding out who actually killed John Bonet and perhaps clearing her parents and older brother Burke of any wrongdoing once and for all. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode. All information within this episode is based on research conducted online. A list of sources will be included in the episode's description, and all opinions are my own. Today, I will be going over the DC Sniper case. The main reason I was so intrigued with this case was because it happened in my very own backyard. Not literally, but close to it. I actually grew up in Northern Virginia, so that's pretty close to our nation's capital. The DC Sniper attacks, also known as the Beltway Snipers, were a series of attacks that occurred in October 2002. Now, I was about four years old when the attacks occurred, so I don't really remember seeing it on the news, but the closest thing I have to a first-hand account is my boyfriend, who was in kindergarten at that time, and he remembers being really upset because his field trip to the pumpkin patch was canceled due to the attacks. And I'm thinking this is why he hates fall and Halloween in October so much because these two crazy people were shooting up our nation's capital. The two individuals that were responsible for the attacks were John Allen Muhammad, who was 41 years old at the time, and Lee Boyd Malvo, who was 17 years old. And even though this duo was referred to as the DC Snipers, the attacks actually took place all over the DMV area, meaning DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And over the course of three weeks, they completely terrorized the DMV area all along Interstate I-95 by killing strangers at random, which resulted in 10 people killed and three injured. But before we dive into the attacks, let's get a better understanding of the two people that made up the DC snipers. John Allen Muhammad, whose birth name was John Allen Wilson, was born on December 31st, 1960 in Louisiana. He was raised by his aunt from age four as his mother had passed away from breast cancer. Much of John's young adult life revolved around a career in the military as he joined the Louisiana Army National Guard in 1978. Around this time, he also married his first wife, Carol, with whom he had a son with. By 1985, John joined the U.S. Army, separated from Carol, and converted to Islam, thus changing his last name from Wilson to Muhammad. While stationed in Washington State, John married his second wife, Mildred Green, with whom he had three children with. Friends of the family said that on the outside, they looked like the perfect family and that John was a good father. Robert Holmes, who had served with John, said that he disciplined his children like any father would, but would never yell at them. During his military service, he had served in the Gulf War, which took him to the Middle East. John developed skills as a marksman and was qualified with the Army's standard rifle and M16. 
Following his return from the Gulf War, Mildred noted that John came back different and was angrier than usual. In 1994, John was honorably discharged from the Army after serving for 16 years. John then tried his hand at becoming a business owner, such as owning a mechanic shop and then a karate school, but both of these ventures had failed. This was about the time when John became resentful against the United States and started acting violently toward his wife, Mildred, such as threatening to kill her. In 1999, Mildred filed for divorce. Enraged by this, John kidnapped their three children and flew to the Caribbean island of Antigua. However, John returned to the U.S. with his children and settled in Washington, where law enforcement found him and reunited the children with Mildred. By 2001, Mildred, who had full custody, moved herself and the children to Maryland. Losing his children is believed to be what pushed him over the edge and the source of his anger as he wanted revenge on Mildred. In October 2000, when John fled to Antigua with his three children, he first meets Lee Boyd Malvo at an electronics store who later becomes his accomplice. Lee was born on February 18, 1985 in Kingston, Jamaica to parents Leslie and Una. Lee's father, Leslie, left his young family and Lee was raised by his abusive mother, Una. Lee and Una moved around Jamaica during his early childhood. His mother also left him to be cared for by others often. Lee is described as a good student who received good grades and won awards for running. In 1999, Lee moved to Antigua to be with his mother and where he eventually meets John. After failing as an owner of a mechanic shop and a karate school, John then turned to creating false immigration documents as a means of income. Una James then moves to Fort Myers, Florida, presumably with fake immigration documents, and leaves her son in the care of John. It is in Antigua where Lee converts to Islam, just like John did previously. In 2001, Lee moved to Miami, Florida, and lived with his mother. The two of them eventually moved to Washington State, but were detained by Border Patrol because he had entered the country illegally. Lee was released and eventually landed in a homeless shelter where John also was. It was at this shelter where John and Lee developed their strong, almost father-son-like bond. Lee was even enrolled in high school where John listed himself as his father. It seemed like John took over being the father figure in Lee's life and became very controlling over him. He restricted his contact with his mother, Una, put him on a very specific diet, only eating once a day, which consisted of honey and crackers, and had him on a very rigorous exercise routine. He even taught him how to shoot guns at the local range. In February 2002, Lee killed his first victim at just 16 years old. John had tasked him with killing a friend of his ex-wife, Issa Nichols, because she encouraged John's ex-wife to seek a divorce. However, unbeknownst to Lee, he shot and killed the target's 21-year-old niece, Kina Cook, instead. Between February and October 2002, the pair traveled throughout the United States to states such as Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, and Maryland, and committed various murders and robberies. John and Lee killed seven people and left seven people injured during these preliminary shootings. It seems like they were attacking people who were closing up their businesses late at night and sneaking up on them, as many of the victims were closing up restaurants and liquor stores. By October 2002, the duo made their way to the DMV area and began their killing spree, also known as the DC Sniper Attacks. Driving around in a 1990 blue Chevy Caprice, the sniper selected their victims at random. Above the license plate on the trunk of the Chevy was a small hole that was cut out to create a rolling sniper's nest. 
It was through this hole where a stolen Bushmaster XM-15 semi-automatic rifle was used during the attacks. At around 5.20 p.m. on October 2nd, a shot was fired through a window of a Michaels craft store in Aspen Hill, Maryland. The bullet missed Ann Chapman, who was the cashier at the store. Since no one was injured, no one thought much of it and it was presumed to be random. At 6.30 p.m. that same night, 55-year-old James Martin, who was a program analyst for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, was shot in the shopper's parking lot in Wheaton, Maryland. The next day, October 3rd, five additional people were killed at random all throughout Maryland. At 7.41 a.m., James Buchanan, also known as Sonny, who was a 39-year-old landscaper, was shot and killed in Rockville, Maryland, while mowing the lawn. At 8.12 a.m., Prem Kumar Whalker, who was 54 years old and a part-time cab driver, was killed while pumping gas at a mobile station in Aspen Hill, Maryland. A doctor who was at the scene attempted to save his life, but it was too late. At 8.37 a.m., 34-year-old Sarah Ramos, who was a housekeeper from Silver Spring, was killed at the Leisure World Shopping Center. At 9.58 a.m., Lori Ann Lewis Riviera, who was 25 years old, was shot at the Shell gas station in Kensington, Maryland. She was vacuuming her car there. The sniper's last kill of the night occurred at 9.20 p.m. when they shot and killed 72-year-old Pascal Charlot, who was a retiree and who was walking his dog in D.C. Of the five murders that occurred on October 3rd, this was the only one that occurred in D.C. and the only one that occurred at night. At this point in time, police had not connected the dots, and the only commonality between all five victims was that they died from a single gunshot. Fear and chaos spread throughout the DMV area as the shootings appeared to be at random. Men, women, young, old, and of all different races. Normal people just going about their day and running errands only to be gunned down. Charles Moore, who was the chief of police in Montgomery County, Maryland, instated a code blue alert to keep the children in Montgomery County and D.C. public schools safe. Kids were not allowed to go outside for recess or for other activities. Parents were so afraid that they didn't allow their kids to take the school bus or walk home from school. At this point, the only evidence that police had were reports of a white box truck leaving one of the crime scenes. However, others reported to police that they actually saw a blue Chevy Caprice. On October 4th, the snipers started their killing spree again by traveling to Virginia. At 2.30 p.m., 43-year-old Caroline Sewell was shot in the Michaels parking lot in Fredericksburg, Virginia, while loading bags into her trunk. Thankfully, Caroline survived and was released from the hospital 10 days later. Three days later, on October 7, 13-year-old Iran Brown was shot in the chest while arriving at Benjamin Tasker Middle School in Bowie, Maryland. Thankfully, Iran's aunt, who was a nurse, was the one that drove him to school that day. She rushed him to the hospital, and he survived. This crime scene was also the first place that the snipers left something for the police. Two days later, police found a tarot card, specifically the death card, with the phrase, For you, Mr. Police, code, call me God, do not release to the press. The details were released to the press one day later after much effort to keep the information contained by police. On October 9th, another person was killed while at a gas station. This time, it was 53-year-old Dean Myers, who was a civil engineer. He was shot and killed at the Sunoku gas station in Prince William County, Virginia. The gas station killings didn't stop there. 
On October 11, 53-year-old businessman Kenneth Bridges was killed at the Exxon gas station in Fredericksburg, Virginia. On October 14, 47-year-old Linda Franklin was killed in a Home Depot parking lot in Falls Church, Virginia. Linda worked for the FBI for three and a half years as an intelligence operations specialist. Robert Mueller, who was the FBI director at the time, released a statement regarding Linda's death, stating, quote, Linda was a dedicated employee and she will be missed. He goes on to say that the employees who work with Linda and all of us are deeply shocked and angry over this tragedy. He also adds that we have nearly 400 agents assigned to this investigation, including teams of new agents in training who are working the toll-free hotline. Mueller ends his statement by stating that he is confident that our investigative team will find the killer and stop the senseless murders that have devastated the families of 11 victims and paralyzed the Washington area with fear. On October 19, 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was shot in the parking lot of a Pona Rosa Steakhouse in Ashland, Virginia, which was about 83 miles south of D.C. Jeffrey survived as doctors were able to remove the bullet during surgery. Jeffrey was also linked to the series of attacks due to ballistics. The sniper's final attack occurred on October 22nd when 35-year-old bus driver Conrad Johnson was shot and killed when standing on the top step of the commuter bus he drove in Aspen Hill, Maryland. Over a three-week period, the DC sniper shot and killed 10 people and injured three. Now that we've gone over the facts of the case, let's go over the evidence and also the investigation that took place. Now, the investigation was led by the Montgomery County Police Department, and the chief of police was Charles Moore. The police also had assistance from the ATF, FBI, the U.S. Secret Service, and the Virginia Department of Transportation. They literally pulled everyone out. It was like the Avengers had assembled. Coincidentally enough, on the morning of October 8th, the Baltimore Police Department stopped a car that was driving erratically. It was a 1990 blue Chevy Caprice, and John Allen Muhammad was the driver. He also identified himself by his full name, and Lee was also in the car with him. But the police didn't have any outstanding warrants for him, so they had no reason to arrest him. Also, they were looking for a white box truck and not a blue Chevy Caprice, so that was another reason why they were let go. So there definitely was a lot of confusion regarding what type of car the snipers were driving. Um, earlier witness statements said that they saw a white box truck leaving the crime scenes. I actually didn't know what a white box truck looked like, uh, but when I googled it, it's just like one of those U-Haul trucks, but obviously without the phrase U-Haul on the side. But it wasn't until 72-year-old Pascal Charlot, uh, when he was killed on October 3rd in D.C., that's when witnesses saw a dark-colored Chevy leaving the crime scene. And then on October 9th, police found a tarot card, specifically the death card, and that was left at the crime scene of 13-year-old Iran Brown, who was attacked when he was arriving at his middle school. And the phrase, for you, Mr. Police, code, call me God, do not release to the press, was written on the card three times. And then another piece of evidence that was found was a four-page letter, presumably written by the snipers, and this was found in the woods um, near where Jeffrey Hopper, where he was shot in the Ponda Rosa Steakhouse. Um, however, he did survive. And in this letter, the snipers wanted $10 million to be sent to a specific ATM card or else they would continue killing. 
But really, what was the smoking gun in this case and what really helped authorities figure out the identity of the snipers came from the help of a elderly Catholic priest from Ashland, Virginia. And according to this priest, on October 18th, an individual called the office of the priest and essentially confessed, like confessed his sins, I guess. And the individual on the phone said that they knew who killed the woman who was shot by the sniper on October 14th. So that was Linda Franklin. And the caller also mentioned quotes that was written on the death tarot card left at Iran Brown's attack. And he also told the priest to write down the phrase that was written on the card as well. And then the caller also talked about a robbery homicide that occurred in Montgomery, Alabama. And the priest was so freaked out and scared that he called the hotline and recounted the information to authorities. And now that the investigators had knowledge of a robbery homicide that took place in Montgomery, Alabama, the investigators contacted Montgomery, Alabama police chief John Wilson on October 20th regarding the homicide that the caller had made to the priest. And according to him, on October 21st, 2002, two liquor store employees were shot. Um, Their names were Claudine Parker, who was 52. She was shot in the chest and killed. And then Claudine's 24-year-old co-worker, Kelly Adams, was shot in the neck, but she was able to get away and she survived. And from this um, shooting or this attack, a thumbprint was actually left on a magazine about weapons. Um, However, it was never processed for whatever reason. And the FBI processed the thumbprint and they got a match. And that's what led them to Lee Boyd Malvo um, of Tacoma, Washington. So by this point in the investigation, the authorities were really closing in on figuring out the identities of both of the snipers. They already knew Lee was connected due to his thumbprint on a piece of evidence in the Montgomery, Alabama liquor shooting. They were then able to trace Lee to Tacoma, Washington, and by October 23rd, authorities had issued a warrant on a Tacoma, Washington home where the snipers both lived at one point. And this is how authorities figured that John Allen Muhammad was connected and was one of the DC snipers. They confiscated evidence such as a tree stump, which I guess they planned to examine for bullets or fragments because according to neighbors, they would see the two target practice shooting in their backyard, which isn't very safe, but also not very discreet on their part. Um, But authorities also figured out that John had purchased a 1990 blue Chevy Caprice on September 21st, 2002 in New Jersey. And this was also a former police car. And then later that day, Montgomery County Police Department Chief Charles Moore had issued a nationwide alert for the blue 1990 Chevy Caprice with New Jersey license plate NDA-21Z. And he also announced that John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo were being sought after. Now, it was a motorist that actually called the police and stated that he saw the two snipers sleeping in the 1990 Blue Chevy at a rest stop in Frederick County, Maryland. And around 3.30 a.m. on October 24th, police arrested John and Lee 
and inside the car they had found the stolen Bushmaster semi-automatic rifle which was used to carry out the attacks and through ballistics authorities were able to link the rifle to 11 out of the 14 shootings and on October 25th Montgomery County, Maryland prosecutors announced that John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo each face six first-degree murder charges. And on October 29th, Virginia prosecutors filed capital murder charges against both of them. In September 2003, John Allen Muhammad was sentenced to death and he was executed on November 10th, 2009 by lethal injection at the Greensville Correctional Center in Jarrett, Virginia. And when he was asked to make a final statement, he actually declined, but according to his attorney, his last meal consisted of chicken and red sauce and some cakes. Now, uh, I'm not gonna lie, that is more on the lean side of a meal. I guess he had the cake, so that was a fun little surprise. But if I was having my last meal, I would say, I'll take the lot, which is a quote from Harry Potter um, in the Sorcerer's Stone. If you know, you know, but I would be asking for everything. Cheese balls, rotisserie chicken, macaroni and cheese, steak, whatever, whatever I wanted. But anyway, um, Mildred Green, who was John's ex-wife, claimed that she thinks that the DC snipers attack were all a part of this uh, plan of trying to commit the perfect crime. And that plan was to kill her and to shift any suspicion because there was a crazy gunman on the loose. So no one would kind of dig into why Mildred was specifically killed. Um, and she was also living in Maryland at the time of the attacks. As for Lee Boyd Malvo, who was a juvenile at this time, he was only 17 during the attacks, um, and he was also 24 years younger than John. He was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences without parole, and in 2006, he actually testified against John and basically confessed to the killings and provided a more uh, detailed account of the attacks. And he also stated that their ultimate goal, according to John, was to distort the U.S. government out of $10 million to stop the killings. And then they would use this money to create a utopian society for homeless black children. And they would teach these boys how to use weapons and then have them commit mass shootings all across the United States. So that sounds like a movie plot to me, but that was just, that was like their goal. Like some people have their goal is to like, I don't know, save $50,000. My goal is to create a utopian society with homeless black children and make them mass shooters to each their own. But uh, in 2012, Lee sat down for an interview with the Today Show and he said that he was sexually abused by John from the time he was 15 all the way until he was arrested. He's now uh, 37 years old and he's currently serving out his sentences at the Red Onion State Supermax Prison in Virginia. As a result of their crimes, the DC snipers killed 17 people and then also injured 10 people from February to October 2002. They killed 10 people in the DC sniper attacks and then seven in the preliminary shootings. And then they injured three people in the DC sniper attacks and then also injured seven during those preliminary shootings. Woo! 
we are at the end of the episode. I hope you guys liked it. Um, I'm now implementing a new segment. It's called Hot Girl Hot Takes. If you couldn't guess, I'm your hot girl and this is my hot take. Um, And I guess my hot take on the case itself is these are just two really unstable men and they both definitely had mommy issues. They had daddy issues. So I guess they really just had parental issues, but it's obviously such a tragedy what happened as a result of their actions. A lot of people died and it really caused panic um, across the country and also in DC. Um, In terms of my own personal take, my personal take is if you had to ask me and I'm like ready for this answer like if I was asked this question in like one of those TikTok interviews like what's your favorite sandwich gone to my head I would say tuna melts tuna melts are the best sandwiches ever especially on bagels that's like kind of the only way I'll eat it I'll eat it if like you put it on like sandwich bread but I'm not gonna like it that much um tuna melts are a little problematic because one it's tuna um and specifically when I get it on an everything bagel I get like the poppy seeds stuck in my teeth so it's not a good look for me but I feel hot anyway um and it also becomes a problem because one my boyfriend doesn't really like tuna melts um and he's gluten-free so I feel like when I kiss him after I eat a bagel I'm almost like poisoning him but he doesn't have to know that Anyway, um, I hope you guys liked this episode. I apologize for the six-month delay, but you know what? That's how things, um, things get better with time. It's like wine, I guess. So podcasts just age, you know? So anyways, make sure to follow us on our Instagram at scaredycatpodcast and give us five stars on Spotify. And as always, stay safe, scaredycats.